Good morning, everyone. Wow, it's an honor to be here this morning to share God's word with you. Before I start, let me pray. Our Father, we just thank you for this time where we can open the Bible. And I just pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, Lord. Amen. For those of you who are not aware, Rachel, or aka Bagel, who's the children's pastor, is also my sister. I am very blessed, you know. And I, we also have a younger brother, Ben, but he lives in New Zealand. Growing up as kids, we were super competitive. For example, a game of Monopoly that would normally last a couple of hours would turn into a week-long tournament, and the only way that it would end is when someone was losing or they'd flip the table. Or, for example, a game of backyard cricket. Instead of just taking a few hours in the backyard, would play to about 8 or 9 p.m. at night, and the only way the game would finish is when someone would hit the ball on the neighbour's roof at 9 p.m. at night. The neighbours loved us. But you see, in the Bible, there was a man named Peter who was very much the same. He had the same mindset. He wanted to be the best. He tried to outdo everyone. So who is this Peter? Who is this Peter guy? Let's have a quick look at who he is. We first meet him along the Sea of Galilee, and originally his name was Simon. And he and his brother Andrew were fishing. And Jesus said one day, come follow me. And they left everything and followed Jesus. And throughout Peter's time as a disciple, he witnessed the power of God. He saw him heal his mother-in-law from a high fever. He saw Jesus raise Jairus' daughter back to life. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration where he saw Jesus alongside Moses and Elijah. Jesus told Peter, go and catch a fish. And he caught a fish and there was money in its mouth where they could pay the tax. Peter witnessed the power of God by the many miracles that Jesus did. On the night when Jesus was to be betrayed, Jesus was washing the disciples' feet. And Peter stated this in John chapter 13. He said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my whole hands and my head as well. Peter loved extremes. He went from no to a complete 100% yes. He just loved extremes. And on that same night while they were celebrating the Passover, Peter promised to Jesus and he said, I will follow you to death. And then Jesus says, no, you won't. You're going to deny me three times before the rooster crowed. Then Jesus asked Peter to stay awake with him while he prayed. And what does he do? He falls asleep. And when Peter awoke, he saw Judas alongside the high priests, the soldiers, the officials, and they came to arrest Jesus. And then Peter jumped up, grabbed his sword, and cut a guy's ear off. And within 24 hours, Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And then that rooster crowed. And then Peter was weeping bitterly. He ran off weeping bitterly. 
Jesus was then led away to be crucified. Three days later, Peter and John ran to the tomb and they saw that the tomb was empty with Jesus' clothes lying there, but no body. And then later on, Peter and some of the disciples were out fishing. And then on the shore, Jesus calls out and he says, men, have you caught any fish? And they hadn't. And then Jesus said, throw your net on the right side of the boat. And when they did that, they caught 153 fish. And it was at that moment that, that, Jesus, that Peter knew that it was Jesus. They come ashore. And this is today where we meet Peter. So let's read in John chapter 21. And let's read from verse 15 to 19. And when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? Three times Peter said that he does. Jesus told him to feed my lambs, tend my sheep and feed my sheep. But I want to point out to you verse 18 and 19. And it says this, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. What do you notice here? Jesus tells Peter the kind of death he was going to die. And then he tells Peter to follow me. Legend or history tells us that Peter was possibly crucified upside down. We're not entirely sure, but that's what we believe. So could you imagine being Peter? What was he thinking? He was sitting down eating breakfast with Jesus and the other disciples. And then being questioned by Jesus if he loves him, not once or twice, but three times. And then being told that he's to feed his lambs, tend and feed my sheep. Then in the same breath by Jesus, Peter is told, this is how you're going to die. I like to read verse 20 and 22 of John 21. And it reads this. Peter and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following him. And this is the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? 
Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Our human tendency can be a bit like Peter and react the way that he did. Why me? Why do I have to do that? What about that person? What, what's he going to do? Two days a week, for two days a week, I work at a local school here as a teacher aide. And when I'm on eating duty and I ask a student to pick up a piece of rubbish, I sometimes get a response of, ah, why me? Why do I have to do it? It's not my rubbish. And usually my response is, oh, it's because I asked you to do it. And, he, and usually you get the response of eyes rolling back in their head or their head dropping as they reluctantly pick up the piece of rubbish and put it in the bin. You see, Peter did ask this to Jesus, Lord, what about him? Why me? Why do I have to do this? I've just been told that I have to do something that sounds big and scary. I'm going to die. What about him? Now, this is me with the pastoral heart that I have. I would have come alongside him and just gone, it's okay, mate, let's try and find a solution to this. How can we do this? How can I comfort you? But what does Jesus do? <laughs> he tells him, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You, you, Peter, you must follow me. Why does Peter have to do this? Why does he have to die like this? A key phrase is found in verse 19. And that key phrase is to glorify God. Peter was to glorify God in his death. Jesus told Peter that he was going to die. Follow me. Peter was going to glorify God in his death. Or as John Piper says, he was going to make Christ look great or magnify him. You see, we may not be asked, like Peter, to die so that God can be glorified. But I wonder, I wonder, what has God called Humeridge to do so that God can be glorified? What has God called your family to do so that God can be glorified? What has God called you to do so that God can be glorified? You see, as children of God or followers of Jesus, we need to be concerned about what God wants. We need to be concerned about God's business. One thing I'm certain that God has called each and one of us to do, and it is found in Mark chapter 12, verse 28 to 30. It's a very well-known passage of Scripture, and it reads this. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So, the key to anything we do, how do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? 
I'd love to explore these with you this morning. The heart, loving God with all your heart. You see, the heart is the foundation of our being and from it flows who we really are as a person. In Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 9, we read that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And before Jesus came into your life, you were seeking what you wanted. You were seeking things not of God. But, but when God's love has been poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit in Romans 5.5, 5, our foundation, our heart changes. We are able to trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. And we will want to submit all our ways to him so that he can make our paths straight in Proverbs 3. In Matthew chapter 7, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus quotes this. He says this at the end of the sermon. He talks about the wise and the foolish builder. The foolish person, the foolish person built his house on the foundation of sand. And the wise person built his house on the foundation of rock. So my question to you this morning is, what's your heart foundation on? Is your heart foundation built on sand or is it built on a rock? Loving God with all your soul. From a heart foundation that is built on a rock and with God's love being poured out into your hearts through the Holy Spirit, I believe we will be able to love God with all our soul. You see, the soul is the deepest part of who you are. It was created to be connected to something. In other words, you are hardwired to be firmly rooted in something that is deeply satisfying. In Mark chapter 4, we read about the parable of the sower, and Jesus explains what this parable meant to the disciples. And then Jesus tells them in verse 14 to 17 that people will receive God's word or God's love with joy. They will be so excited to receive it. But that joy is not rooted down yet. And Satan comes and steals that joy. Or trials or persecution comes. Or the cares of this world. And it takes away that joy. We don't have it. Uh, we need to have roots. Our soul needs to have roots in something. If not God, then you will seek to have your roots somewhere else. In something that you hope will give you contentment and satisfaction in your life. You see, some people go after sports or they go after their career, or they go after being financially secure, or they go after seeking to be in a relationship. If we seek to root our souls in anything other than God, we will be left thirsty. When our, souls, when our soul has roots in God, we are like a tree that is planted by the streams of water. And in Psalm chapter 1, we read this. Blessed is the one who does not walk in the steps of the wicked 
or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his Lord day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. No matter what does or does not happen in our lives, our confidence, our destiny, firmly remains rooted in the only foundation which we can trust, and that is God. Where does your soul have roots? If God's love has been poured out into your hearts through Jesus, do you trust his love enough to have your roots deep in God so that no matter what happens to you, you will trust him? Loving God with all your mind. I believe when it comes to loving God with all your mind, there are two parts to it. The first one is we need to think rightly about God or we need to think correctly about who God is. A.W. Tozer states, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I'll say that again. What comes into your minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So how do we think correctly about God? We must go to the Bible. We must wrestle. We must seek and wrestle in the Bible about who this God is. You see, we all have perceived ideas of who God is. For some people, God is like an old grandpa, someone who lives up in the sky, who old, doesn't really care about us, just a bit ugh, old and can't do anything for us. Or we think of God, or some people think that God is boring, has no fun. Or we think of him like a, an absent father. We know he's there, but he doesn't care about us. He sees the trouble that I'm in, but he doesn't really care about me. You see, we need to seek who God really is in the Bible. The second part of loving God with all your mind is to use your mind for his glory. Whether that be at work, how can you be the best person you can be for the glory of God at your work? Whether you are a husband or a wife, how can you be the best person you can be for the glory of God? If God's love has been poured out into your hearts through Jesus, if your roots are deep and you're able to trust his love no matter what happens to you, I believe we will want to know more and more about who God really is. We'll be seeking to know how can we bring glory to God. Loving God with all your strength. Colin Smith, who's a senior pastor at the Orchard Evangelical Free Church, states this. The word might or strength in Hebrew literally means muchness. So love God with your muchness. It pretty much means your possessions, what you have, what God has given you, all that God has given you. So we have to love God with all that he has given us. In Luke chapter 18, there's 
a story between the rich young ruler and Jesus. And this rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he asks him, how do I receive in eternal life? I've kept the law, I've done all this, I've done all that. And what does Jesus tell him? He says, go and sell all your possessions and give it to the poor. And we read that the rich young ruler went away very sad. I'm not saying you receive eternal life because you don't, you don't receive eternal life by selling everything and giving to the poor. You don't. But Jesus tells us in Matthew chapter 6 that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So, if God's love has been poured out into your hearts through Jesus, if your roots are deep and you are able to trust him no matter what happens to you, if you seek to know who really God is and you seek to bring him glory, you'll want to love God with every possession that God has given you. You will want to honour God with all that he has blessed you with. So you might be sitting there at home this morning with your cup of coffee and you're going, Josh, I hear what you're saying. I hear it. But where do I start with all this information? I'd like to read you Psalm chapter 90, verse 14. And I believe this will help each one of you this morning. And it reads, says this, Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Let me repeat the first half of that verse again. It says this, Satisfy us, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. This week, my challenge, Humeridge, this is my challenge to you as a church. Make this your prayer this week. Write this verse down on a sticky note. Put it somewhere on your fridge, in your mirror, in your car, somewhere where you're going to see it every single day. And make this your prayer, God, crying out, God, satisfy us, satisfy me this morning with your unfailing love. And as you do this this week, see what God will do in your hearts. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can have satisfaction in you, Lord, that nothing else will satisfy us like you. And Lord, I pray that this week you'll help us to be satisfied in your love. Each morning as we pray that, Help us to be satisfied and help us to have our hearts aligned with you. In Jesus' name.